Pureflix wanted to tell a story that would humanize the apostles for a modern audience. Apparently the cast had a lot of fun making this movie. Gotta love a cold open when there's sparse detail about the film you're watching. And that was Apostle Peter and the Last Supper. And this is Godfellas. Everybody and welcome to another thrilling episode of Godfellas, the small group that meets online. I'm Mr. Zach. I'm Mr. Mitch. And today we will be talking about the 2012 Pure Flix magnum opus, if you will, Apostle uh-huh. Peter and, and the Last Supper. You need to be more careful with things you call magnum opus, <laughs> all right? Reserve that. Sorry, pure flexes. I said pure flexes. Okay, this could be their mag. This could be their magnum opus. Sure, why not? Um, well, uh, one of the we'll talk about the movie in a bit, but before we get into the Apostle Peter and the Last Supper, ladies and gentlemen, I am legitimately excited this week for our guest. He is a writer. He is a very funny person, but he's also an amazing father. He is a scholar of the Bible, and he's a great teacher, he is a great instructor, and he's my former youth pastor. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Mr. Chris Stoker! Sing your praise to the Lord. (laughs) I love you too, Zach. Thank you. So, Chris, when when you were my youth pastor, I remember... You were big into talking about the Bible, which I know sounds silly. Those youth pastors. Yeah, always pushing the Bible. Well, I went to some youth groups after that, and there was a lot of talking about, like, you know, oh, America, and we all need to, you know, be better Uh, Americans and stuff like that. And with you, I always felt like I was getting... I was getting a lot about the Bible. I remember learning a lot about like the parables and what they meant from your lessons, Chris. So Hmm. I'm curious, what inspired you to take God's word like more seriously? I think it's always been for me a matter of context. That's Mm -hmm. a big word. That's a big Bible study word. That is a push button word for lots of people who are very vocal about their understanding of scripture. But I've always been a big fan of finding out what those words meant to the people to whom they were originally intended, because that isn't me. Mm. Do the words apply to my life? At some point, yes, they will, but not all of them all the time. I like to say that at some point in our lives, everything that you find in the Bible will apply. The puzzle (laughs) is figuring out which one goes when, because if you flip open to go thou and, uh, you know, Judas hung himself, and then you flip back a a couple hundred pages and you get go, go thou and do likewise, (laughs) That's not good biblical advice. (laughs) So context is big for me. I call myself a self-taught theologian. That's the most dangerous kind. But some of the best ones out there are. Um, And what I mean by that is that I haven't stuck to one particular tradition or expression. I have Jewish commentaries. I have um, Anglican and Catholic commentaries. I have... The most recent one I bought is 52 Weeks of Torah Teachings 
by women oh, yeah. rabbis. Nice. That's because awesome. that's a voice I've never been exposed to. Mm-hmm. And that is, there are ways of thinking and perspectives that I'm not going to come into on my own. And I'm probably not going to come into in the circles that I usually have these conversations with. So I'm a big fan of study. I'm a big fan of looking at what those words uh, meant for the original people to whom they were collected and written, because you have to start there before you can just say, here's what they mean for me and for our lives. And I think just too too often we get stuck on the application. And I think that's kind of where some of those other youth groups tend to go. People focus too much on topical preaching. People focus too much on getting an idea across, and then they find the Bible to support it. And I think that's backwards. I would go so far to say that that is biblically irresponsible. Hmm. So judge away. <laughs> I love it. So I, that's like the woke version of saying it's dangerous. I feel like evangelicals and Bible thumpers are always feel like it would be dangerous for us to read a Rob Bell book where we're like, no, it's irresponsible. You shouldn't do. You shouldn't do this. Mm. <laughs> I well, say that uh, in, in, in love. I I like what you're saying. I agree with what you're yeah, saying very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I do remember. I think and there's. I, I, sorry. Go ahead. I, yeah. I think there's something to be gleaned from everyone. Yeah, I think absolutely. We can learn from everyone. So as soon as we slap that label, let's just talk about Rob Bell for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of of some of what he says. Yeah, me too. Will I accept everything that he's ever said or written? No. As absolute truth or gospel? Mm-mm. No. But I don't do that for Bonhoeffer either, and I don't mm-hmm. do that for um, who else can I think of? Tozer, and I don't mm-hmm. do that for Brengel, mm-hmm. for the Salvation Army gang out there. Um, yeah. because not everybody <laughs> talks pure gold all the time, except for Zach Smith Michaels. Hey, he's the only hey, one. That's true. Looks <laughs> like we've caught quite a fish today. Let's call insurrection against the empire. He's a follower of the one they call Jesus Christ. They say these Christians go quietly to their deaths. What could this cult possibly offer a man for him to risk his freedom and his life? Did you really know him? The one they call the King of the Jews? Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you were friends with this Jesus, a prophet? You really think you could convert me to living a life of persecution? No, to living a life of hope. Do you care to make a wager on that? If you can convert me, I'll set you free. I am already free. But even in chains? You are the one in chains, Martinian, not I. I remember when this movie came out in 2012, it got like an ad on television, which for Christian movies that were like really cheap and everything, that didn't really happen. Like we have to remind ourselves, this was before like our God's Not Deads and our Pure Flicks movies. This was one of their early films that they released. And I remember the whole kind of um, thing they were selling this on is, this isn't your grandparents' biblical film. That's bizarre. What this, does that even mean? And, 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 and if I can think of a movie my grandparents would love, this is it. <laughs> well, I, so I remember they were like, it's a dark, gritty version of the Bible where we flesh what? out the apostles more. So I remember thinking, what? okay, hmm. cool, I'll watch it. And I remember like watching it and going, I, I didn't dig it. But this was at a point in my life where I thought like, you know, saying Christian films aren't good was like blasphemous. So, um, <laughs> and, and now that I'm a little bit Careful. older, now, now that I'm, I'm Saint, older, I know that's Saint not true. Kurt Cameron might have something to say about that. That's right. Yes, he may. <laughs> so, um, what, what were your, um, initial thoughts about, about this movie after I made you both watch it? 
Now that I have an idea of the tone of the conversation, which I honestly wasn't sure about prior, what did you what did you think this conversation the tone was going to be? My favorite movie, Fossil Peter and the Last Supper. <laughs> if you say anything about against it, I, I, I listen. I'm cynical. Mm-hmm. People construe that to be negative, and sometimes it is. And I generally assume that. What I'm thinking about a thing is not what everybody's thinking about a thing. So I need to listen to what everybody's thinking about a thing before I start sharing my opinions. Mm. But here, just for the sake of of entertainment, here are the first few things that I wrote down on my Word document as I watched this movie. All the white people. Yes. All the white people. All All the white people. We got all the white. (laughs) Hey, listen up, fans. We got Robert Lotion in the house. This was made for my grandparents. I particularly enjoyed the hairstyling. What was the ancient Roman version of hair gel? Yes. Yes. Because that first time that um, Martinian walks in, he's got like that perfect gelled hair. And I'm just yep. trying to fit like, was that sheep fat? Like, what would they have used to? Because Brill Cream's not a thing. Yep. And that just betrayed all 43 years of my life. And <laughs> anyway, the CGI cutscenes of the the town to oh, show time oh moving. My God. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. My God. They had like oh. three shots. It was like three <laughs> back to back to back to Yeah. And they didn't go anywhere, by the way. They were like they, they were in jail. They cut to the shot. We're back in jail. I was like, what's all these establishing shots for? Yeah, it was it was great. The clothes, the clothes made me laugh. Like the outfits were straight out of somebody's Christmas pageant. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> and then I wrote this in all caps. I wrote Jesus because I guess I like his name. I said, how do you direct Jesus? How do you play Jesus? Because this is just me in my head kind of working around. And then I made a note of, oh, they just didn't bother. No. Because yeah. I. The Ugh. Jesus character just seemed like, first of all, again, this isn't just me talking right now in 2020 with all of the things and the race issues. I've thought this way for a long time. Why is blonde Jesus on the wall in all of these churches that I go mm-hmm. to? And not only was that who we saw in this film, but he, I, I don't know. I like, I didn't buy into one minute, one well, moment. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a word other than like neutered press, but like, that's what it felt like. It was just like. There was no power in what he was saying. It just felt very, uh, like, even, like, in the garden when the guards come to seize him. Yeah. Uh, like, that scene was, like, so low energies, like, but not on your sword. I'm like, what <laughs> am I watching right now? I'm like, why is this the tone? Hey, put on your sword. So I'm just like, all right. Well, well it's, it's For funny. me, I- it was, Jesus was one way. Mm-hmm. He was always telling them this. He was always yeah. delivering the message. He was always the preacher. He was always when the Jesus I have in my head. And again, that's not the only Jesus. Mm-hmm. Th- that relational aspect of him is far more important. The Jesus mm-hmm. who listened. The Jesus yeah. who sat with. The Jesus who was happened to be Jewish. Um, and sat Shiva with people who maybe could read your mind but didn't have to. Because there was some other dynamic of this relationship that was really enriching and deep and 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 beautiful, um, and I didn't get that. This was a very one way. I'm going to tell you wonderful things. You're going to listen to them, or you're not. I'm going to chastise you now. One of the and maybe uh, it's just because it just seems so familiar to me. I I feel like the what I would say about this movie as an opening salvo. I have seen <laughs> this movie a hundred times. I've seen. Wow. Yeah, this I mean, version ooh, of, bless you, my son. of like it just in the church, like there's always some like we're gonna do the life of Jesus with a white guy. 
uh, and it's poorly acted and it's it's poorly costumed. Like I, I've seen that movie a, a billion times. You know what I mean? So it, it is the kind of oh, movie yeah, that yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. It just made me upset, <laughs> like it viscerally. Like I was like, "Do I have to watch this one more time, Zachary? You promised. <laughs> you promised after the chosen, I, I wasn't gonna have to watch I another not, movie like this. I did not promise. <laughs> watching this, especially after watching the chosen, I was like, "My goodness, this is so bad. This is so bad." But they um, got Robert Loja, so it's all right. But that's what I want to talk about is Robert Loja, who I, I gotta tell you, like. The writing of his every story that he told was just so boring. Well, let's take a step. Let's take a step back. Yeah, Robert Loggia <laughs> set the stage um, here. First of all, yeah. <laughs> I I'm not aware of who this man is. I think he would be very important to my grandparents. Uh, I feel like he's a <laughs> he's a get. Um, like he's kind of a yes. B lister or a C lister, which in the Christian media market that's a big deal. So mm. he plays uh, the titular uh, Saint Peter in this movie, and the movie is framed. Uh, in a way that St. Uh, Peter's in prison, uh, and this is from scripture, right? Uh, but he's telling the story to a prison guard of his travels and uh, the life of Jesus to basically convert him before the movie ends, right? That is the structure right. of the film. And that is absolutely the goal from the beginning. And this is one of like the stakes in my heart. Did I just call myself a vampire? <laughs> I might have. Yes. <laughs> well, again, I mean, I feel like I've seen this movie a gajillion times where it's like, we're getting to that conversion one way or another. Someone's getting on their knees and getting converted in this movie. So you got there too fast. <laughs> we can, we can come back to it, but yes, that's yes, uh, yes, just yes. every Christian movie. It feels like that's the finish line. Um, so the scene that Zach is referring to uh, is the last supper. He's retelling the story of the last supper uh, to this Which person. is kind of the, this scene that you're, I'm sorry, Mitch. Yeah, I'm just trying on. to think of yeah. if there are listeners who maybe haven't seen the movie or don't know what we're talking Probably about. Probably haven't. <laughs> I think it's important. To, <laughs> I yes. hope you have. I mean, I mean, what? <laughs> no, there are some really redeeming parts, and I did write some really positive notes. Uh, some parts that actually made me go, "Oh, wow, good." Mm. Maybe we'll get to those, and maybe I'm yeah. the only one that thinks those. In no, which case, I'll true. pretend like I never said this. <laughs> this is Godfellas, where we speak our truth. <laughs> <laughs> speak our truth it's fantastic so like the half the middle half of the movie there's about an hour dedicated to this whole idea of the last supper and the moments leading up to it and what took place at it and the moments leading out of it and there's a bunch of stuff i think that we're going to talk about and maybe not but elderly peter so this is the movie begins and ends and goes back and forth between elderly uh, peter's late life and his disciple life and so we have this idea at pretty much in the beginning of the movie that he's he's in prison and it's pretty close to the end. So we're getting to that Peter crucified uh, kind of moment and he's telling this other guard, he's telling these stories of, of what his life was because <laughs> this this was another stake in the heart. This other guard's wife, like she was a Christian and she knew some people and she talked to some people and she hung outside of prisons occasionally or all the time wanting him to ask this guy, Peter, some questions. Mm-hmm. And this was this whole other part. So elderly Peter, that's, I'm, I'm just, I have another note about this that I want yes. to say, but I'm not going to say it right now. Um, first of all, I, here's another one. Elder Peter is somewhat Yoda-esque. In yes. time you will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In time you will. 
His syntax was all messed up this whole movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I just want to put that out there that this the Last Supper scene is kind of central to the mm-hmm. whole movie and to apparently the character development of of Peter himself as a disciple. Yeah. Which just from if I can be so bold as to call myself the Bible guy, but that's why you brought me here for this conversation. <laughs> yep. The Last Supper is not by any means <laughs> or stretch of the imagination or stretch of the imagination <laughs> central to Peter's life, yeah. to his discipleship, yeah. to his development as a leader in the early church, to his growth as a human being, to his relationship with Christ. Yeah. And this is not central. This no. scene is not central to Peter's life and to Peter's life as a disciple and to Peter's uh there's so much. I, I could write a book on Peter, um, and I might. I did I did like a week-long camp at one point in time where I got to be the Bible teacher every morning for an hour for 250 people, um, and we walked through Peter's life. Uh, mm. It was fantastic. So I'm a big Peter fan. And anyway, sorry, I'm way off track here. But no, that was just awesome. Mitch, yeah. me trying to give a little bit of context <laughs> mm-hmm. to yeah. this film. Yes. Um, for those people who haven't necessarily watched it, that the whole thing is Peter flashing back and flashing forward. And mm-hmm. all, at, all at once, we have Peter living out his days with Jesus as a disciple uh, in his memories. And we have Peter drawing closer, because Satan told him, oh, to his oh, death yeah. in three days. days. And, and by the way, like it also does the thing that a lot of Christian movies do, where like Satan shows up, but he's really just like got a emo haircut and there's a red light on him and you're like oh i guess that that's satan oh he looks like me in middle school yeah i lit that scene like as a nine-year-old in in a teen group yeah (laughs) you know what i'm saying like we had a bendy neck light that somebody had donated at the side i put a red light bulb in and i turned it on and that one kid who wore eyeshadow to youth group every week he got to sit in the red light and make an evil face and that's how we portrayed satan in a skit yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. a fun, I'll a funny you. skit. You know, like I directed, no, yeah. I directed that scene. <laughs> now, now I'll, I'll tell you what, though. Um, speaking of of skits, the middle portion, the last supper portion of the movie, in and of itself, I thought it was kind of a cool idea seeing what each of the apostles was was thinking, or why they might have betrayed Jesus, or or because you know in the Bible it says all of them ask, "Is it I? Is it I? Is it I?" And I always you know thought that was interesting because you're clearly like, well, no, I I know if I'm going to betray someone or not. So it was kind of here's what's to be explored, but not in a movie. Like maybe at like a Good Friday service at like you know the local church in a 20 minute like little you know skit that the youth group does. Like yeah, sure, maybe there. Not in this movie where literally the thrust is the guy is Peter guessing at how his friends were feeling when he's telling this Roman soldier, like, my brother probably felt this way. And John, oh, poor Philip. Yeah, I I think what Chris kind of hit on, too, is my big gripe with not only the Last Supper, man, was it really an hour that was devoted to it? Oh, yeah. The middle hour of that movie is totally dedicated to that scene. There was yep. a, a part where Zach, <laughs> Zach and I watched it together, and it, it was during I'm the Last jealous. Supper, and he he paused, and I shouted at him, there cannot still be an hour left in the movie. There's no way there could still be an hour left in this movie. I was very upset. I had to watch, I had to watch this movie twice, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. But, yeah, I mean, the my 
beef with it is it's totally disconnected from the rest of the yeah. story. It just doesn't yeah, really absolutely. go anywhere. It doesn't serve the larger arc. Uh, so I'm I'm a little confused even just like what, from a writing perspective, uh, the overall story is supposed to be. I mean, other than like, Peter's trying to convert someone, I guess. You know what I mean? And I I guess the rest of it, since that is such a broad, big umbrella, can wrap underneath that. But it just felt very lazy. Uh, and that mm. Last Supper stuff particularly, it just it was super disconnected for me. There's Absolutely. a couple different aspects of this that maybe we can all speak into because we've 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 been writers together. We've been dramatists together. We have all all three of us at some point or another, sometimes all three of us together and sometimes just individually, we have all had very interesting and very deep but biblical conversations. Mm. So I think that there's a shared, there's a lot of shared context here for these three particular aspects. I had to pause it multiple times. Okay. I had to keep telling myself through this movie, literally pausing the movie, pulling myself out and saying, Nobody is saying this is gospel. Nobody is saying this is written in stone. Nobody is saying this is another way to read scripture. This mm. is a director's dream. Mm. Like we we can we can think, and I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can think how misguided this is. We can think how the problems this will cause by showing it in your fellowship hall mm. on a Thursday night in July, mm-hmm. or as part of an evangelical crusade. Mm-hmm. Mm. It can't be alone. It can't be alone. Somebody has to walk us through it and make some explanations and deliver us from evil. <laughs> uh, for that is the kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Um, but I just had to keep telling myself this is an artistic representation mm. of one person's interpretation of scripture and of a character in scripture. So that allowed me to take the film a little more seriously than I, than I legitimately wanted to, to begin mm. with. Mm. Uh, but I have to tell myself that a lot. <laughs> yeah that's the cynic that mm. is the cynic mm-hmm. sometimes i have to tell myself that during sermons not that it's fictional not that it's one person's <laughs> interpretation and that it's wrong sure. um but i have to back up and i have to say chris you're not you're not the end all be all you're not mm-hmm. the expert you are not the the final authority on this mm-hmm. um and that encourages me as a believer as someone who wants to take these 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 stories wants to take the substance of these stories who wants to to live them out because that's what all three of us want to do in some way is live out some version of Peter's life in our in our own. Mm. It may not be this version of Peter's life, <laughs> Def- but, definitely no. Yeah, <laughs> but we do. That this is all to say that we don't we don't watch these movies, we don't see these stories, we don't sense these stories, and then just cast them off. They're not we're not flip about them. But this is just something that I have learned that I have to do is back up. This isn't the only way to perceive this. Now, anyway, mm. that being said, I 100% agree with you, Mitch, that from a writing perspective, this hurt my heart. Just from a technical perspective, when you start talking, I don't care if you're writing scripture, <laughs> if you're writing movies, if you're writing books, you learn this crap in writing 101. My writing professor at Olivet Nazarene University, God bless her. She's wonderful. I was going to say God bless her soul, but I don't know that she's actually there yet. I think. She might be still among us. And I hope so. She's amazing. It was Dr. Shirley Maguire at Olivet Nazarene. And lovingly, lovingly, we called her Squirrely Shirley because she would kind of just go from lily pad to lily pad with no warning. And you had no idea <laughs> what the next thought was going to be out of her mind, out of her mouth um, and her mind. Some people are, are, are straight line thinkers. 
Mm-hmm. Like you can track them very easily. It's very linear thinking. That's helpful for a teacher. Some people are dotted line, which is fun because you kind of have to, oh, we're going to, oh, 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 I'm with you. Dr. McGuire was not just a dotted line, but a squiggly dotted line mm. thinker. And it was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, but it, yeah. it's one of those writing 101 lessons that you cannot know the internal monologue of another character. Right. Mm-hmm. You can't. Yeah. If you do, you have to establish the device by which you know it. Mm-hmm. You must be a mind reader. They must have left a diary out somewhere. They like there has to be a device by which character A, St. Peter, in this example, can enter into the minds of the others. And mm-hmm. that do- that does not exist outside of ju- him just establishing, well, yes, I did. I knew them that well. We're friends. I know yeah. a lot of people well. <laughs> My wife and I have been married going on. We're going to start year 18. In November, we're like we're finishing up 17 years. It's absolutely nuts. How she has put up with me for this long is, is <laughs> I mean, God only knows, and maybe her. Um, <laughs> and Peter, but apparently. This is like this is clearly the longest amount of time I've spent with anybody on this sort of level. Right. Mm. And I don't know what's in her mind. Unless Peter is going to establish some sort of supernatural, which they didn't. I mean, they kind of did just because Peter said, Yes, I knew it, but I didn't buy into that. They didn't follow the rules. Right. And the rules can be bent. The rules can be stretched. Sure. The rules can be pushed. If you're very good. Right. But then you have to have a rule about how the rules can get pushed. Yeah. Like, right. you still have to do that for the viewer, the reader, the watcher, the whatever it is. Okay. Right. There. H- here My, is. That particular rant is over. Go, Zach. <laughs> here, is the, here is the line of dialogue that made me pause the movie and scream into my where the wild things are throw pillow. <laughs> I need one of those. <laughs> my roommate ran out of his room to make sure I was okay. It's a good roommate. Yeah. <laughs> the scene where Peter is giving Martinian the rundown of the apostles. Now bear in mind, listening audience, cause I'm sure you haven't seen this film. Martinian has never met the apostles. He doesn't really know who Jesus is other than like there's these guys who follow him and apparently like they're they're being stopped by everybody. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know who the apostles are. He doesn't know what the story is, right? So Peter gives him like the rundown of all the apostles, right? He goes, there was James and John. There was my brother, Andrew. And then it gets to the end. And he says to this man who has no idea who Jesus is, who has no idea who the apostles are, he says to him, <clears throat> and of course, there was Judas. Yeah. Of c- This man, yeah. no, that's like if I was telling you about my childhood friends growing up, and I was like, there was Kyle, and there was Mitch, oh, and of course, Billy. Who's Billy? <laughs> Who's Billy? Oh, he was the jerk. <laughs> Lines like that just tip, that, tip their cards, because it really just reveals the writers are not... <laughs> Thinking about the yeah. interior logic of the world, they are right. speaking directly to the Christian viewing audience at home. Exactly. Yeah. Mitch, now, I don't know you- how much time we want to spend on Judas, but I wrote more about Judas in my notes than any other aspect of the film. Oh, please, please. Really? Can we talk about Judas, please? <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> what Did you like him? No. Because you said there were <laughs> things you bit. liked in this movie, so I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, in fact, Judas was one of the things, like, the, if, if if there are things that I like about this movie that I would say they did this really well, and you should, as an artist, or even you as a disciple, should take this part and, and kind of really see how it speaks to you, Judas would be the opposite. 
Mm. <laughs> Chris, I'm really glad you're here with us tonight, man. Me Thank too. you. Me too. <laughs> because if you think that the way this movie portrays Judas is mm. is is an example of of our spiritual warfare, of our internal conflict, of of who we are as human beings, and that I like I like to say, and this will not go over well for people. If you think that Judas is obvious, you are you are that you are mistaken. I'm just going to read you a little bit about what I wrote. It's so easy when the hero and the villain are so clearly delineated. Right. When the bad guy has different clothes, like Judas did, and he's mm-hmm. skinny and he's scrappy, he's shorter than the rest. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you picked up on it, but Judas yep. was the only disciple that didn't have facial hair. Judas isn't a man, is the subtext, mm-hmm. whether they intended it or not. Blondie? Not that facial hair makes a man, but when you have all 11 apostles and when you have Jesus and when you have whatever, when you're telling this particular story and one person looks physically this much different from the rest, everything mm-hmm. was on purpose. Our prejudices become so easily infor- reinforced that it's no wonder why the fairy tale tropes of wicked stepmother and valiant prince always seem to find their place in our hearts and in our faith. Now, these characters, wicked stepmother, valiant prince, they don't pop up in this movie. They don't pop up in our Sunday school lessons, but they do. Think about how we encounter scripture and how we teach it, especially to Mm. kids. Every story, this drives me nuts. This is part of my Peter teaching is every story follows the pattern of hero and villain, even if it's implicit. And I have three examples. Abram, he's not wrestling with how God's promises will come to be. No, no, not at all. When we look at Abram and when we hear Abram's story, he doubted God and was a bad person. Mm. He had a weak faith. Bring up Jacob. Someone's going to say, he, oh, deceiver, because that's what we're taught in, in, in Sunday school. Jacob, deceiver. Jacob equals deceiver. Jacob equals deceiver. Because mm-hmm. half of Jacob's life, it's easiest to think of him as against God and as a villain. His yeah. stolen blessings, the lies that he told. So my question is, does Jacob's redemption come when he wrestles with God at the edge of the river? That's where a lot of people like to decide he is redeemed as a character. Or did it come when he built an altar out of the rocks he slept on in his 20s? Because mm. to me, that's where Jacob was redeemed. When God yeah. said to him, this is the way to me. This is the way to my kingdom. Did he go on to still be a less than honest person? Absolutely. Did he mislead <laughs> Laban? Absolutely. Was he misled? Hi, here's the wife that you requested. Oh, wait, when you wake up in the morning, she won't be the wife that you requested. <laughs> There's a bit of karma happening here. Mm. But to me, that's Jacob's redemptive moment because he takes this rock that he slept on as a pillow and out of that, he builds an altar and says, here I met the Lord. Mm. And then there's some crap that happens after that in his life. And that's okay because there's crap that happens in our lives after we meet the Lord. It's not Mm. hero and villain. And that just bothers me that all of these stories come out that way. Our understanding of Peter himself Mm-hmm. Walking on, think about walking on water and all of the ways or most of the ways you've heard Peter walking on water taught or preached or presented in Sunday school or in VBS. And I am guilty of teaching this stuff straight out of the book without thinking it through. Yeah. Because at the end, Jesus says, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Mm-hmm. What we miss in this whole story, and please, by all means, flip to Matthew 14, which was one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture. It's the longest day of Jesus' life. He's mm-hmm. up for more than 24 hours straight mm-hmm. because at the beginning of Matthew 14, he hears of the death of John the Baptist, who is somehow related to him. Mm-hmm. I, 
I sit in this camp of John the Baptist was kind of Jesus rabbi. There's there's a healthy amount of there's a healthy scholarship out there that suggests this. I like this idea because Jesus teachings echo so many of John the Baptist teachings. Mm. But let's we can put that aside. It's not by any means taken taken for granted. But Matthew Matthew 14 is this this very long chapter where Jesus keeps trying to get away to cope with this idea that John the Baptist died. My cousin, my friend, my rabbi, my teacher. He just tries to get away, but then the crowds follow him. So he feeds 5,000 people. Yeah. The same day that he learned that a very important person, a mentor, an influence, a voice, if nothing else, someone who was preaching a very similar message to him, a, a, a comrade, a good friend, if nothing else, it's the passing away of this, and he still puts other people in front. Dude, if I'm having a bad day, I don't go to work. <laughs> Much less put other people in front of myself. I take two Advil and I roll over. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we have these three Sunday school stories in a row in Matthew 14, but we teach them all separately. Mm. You have you have uh, uh, the whole John the Baptist, sorry, John the Baptist, um, his life taken in the beginning and and Herodias and the dancing and all of that. And then at the end of that story is just a little line of, of, of John's disciples go to tell Jesus. Mm-hmm. Upon hearing this begins the next story. Jesus went off to find a place by himself and the crowds followed him. And then he feeds the 5,000. And after he feeds, and this is, so this is where you have him saying to Peter, find a way to feed them. And Peter be like, what do you want me to do? And Jesus is like, <laughs> dude, I am neck deep in grief here right now. Can you figure something out for me? That is the Chris Stoker translation. <laughs> Just to be clear, you won't find that anywhere on Bible Gateway. You have the feeding of the 5,000. And then after that, the people disperse and they leave. The disciples are trying to figure out what that all meant. And Jesus says to them, go down the mountain. Because apparently they're on a mountain. Go down the mountain, get on a boat and head across the Sea of Galilee. I will meet you. And it's like the end of the day. Mm. So they go down the mountain. They get in a boat. Peter has, listen, this is, this is the setup to Peter walking on water. And it always becomes the story of Jesus walking on water. Peter got out of a fricking boat mm-hmm. in the middle of a storm. Mm-hmm. And as Matthew relates it, the verb he uses to describe the storm doesn't make any sense. If we <laughs> think about the language he uses, Greek is a very precise language. You, you, the, the word means what it means. Hebrew is poetic and it's metaphorical and it's allegorical. Like Hebrew, there's like the same word that means 17 different things. And you have to figure out based on the way that other things have been said at other parts of the Old Testament, what, it, what, what the word means. Like there's, there's a poetry. There's, there's a, a, um, a, a rabbi friend that I have likes to say, Chris, what do you mean you read the scriptures as they are at face value? <laughs> that is terrible. We read the scripture behind the scripture. Mm. And I like, I can't say that out loud with most people. I'm going to say it here on this podcast. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, let me get to the end of the story. Is is Peter takes the disciples down. Peter, the seasoned fisherman, gets in a boat in the middle of the night. They cross over the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. And the storm, the word used by Matthew is he could see. The wind was so strong that he could see it. Doesn't make any sense. Talk to any Greek scholar, any person who, who, who studies the Gospels, who studies the Greek language, who studies the New Testament. This doesn't make any sense. You can't see wind. Mm. 
Why does Matthew use this word? Because it's all, it's the only thing that makes sense. The wind is so strong, Peter can mm. see it. We can't see wind. I can't see wind. You can't see wind. You can see the result of wind. But for whatever reason, the Gospel of Matthew is portrayed in this idea. This moment is portrayed in this idea that the wind was so strong that Peter could see it. And he gets out of the boat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because off in the distance, he sees what they think is a ghost originally. It's not like there's a, hello, my name is Jesus. Right. Sticker on, on, on dude's robes as he's walking on the rotor. Uh, on the <laughs> rotor. Water. They, they don't recognize him immediately. Mm-hmm. G- P- Peter, in fact, starts the conversation and he says, if it is you, tell mm. me to come to you. Mm. Peter starts this conversation. If it is you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. That's the, that's the only word in there is come. Mm-hmm. And so, Peter, let's just see this. Middle of the night, Sea of Galilee, they left Jesus on a mountain to pray by himself. They got in a boat doing what he said. They obeyed. They listened. They had faith in Jesus. Storm. They're still in the boat. They're not rowing back to shore. They're still in the boat. They're going forward. They're doing what Jesus said. Faith. Trust. Not little faith. Not little trust. We're seeing this through because this is what we were told. Ghost looking thing out on the water. And the number of times that ghosts are mentioned in the New Testament, you got to think that people believed in ghosts. Mm-hmm. That's what they thought they were seeing. Mm-hmm. And yep. here Peter says, Lord, title, if it is you, tell me to come to you. Peter, Peter. Sorry, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> Peter starts the conversation and Peter begins the invitation and Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat. Mm. At what point? Mm. In this longest day of Jesus' life prior to his crucifixion, at what point has Peter demonstrated little faith? Mm. None. This is why he's the rock. This is why Jesus says, to you I give the keys of the kingdom. Mm. This is why Jesus says, on you I will build my church. Because when it doesn't make sense, Mm. you're going to look through the wind that you can see and you're going to see me. You're going to invite yourself. Peter gets out of the boat, not because the boat is the safest place to be. Screw safety. We're in the middle of the the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of the night, in a storm that we can see. Safety is not the priority. Hmm. He wants to be with Jesus because that's the priority. I left you on a mountain. I don't know how I left you on a mountain. How did we leave you on the mountain? How did you get here? Who cares? I'm coming out to you. Hmm. I hope it's you because I need it to be you. (laughs) If it's you, tell me to come to you. Like this is anticipation. Mm -hmm. This is the essence of faith. I know Paul says faith is, 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 is belief in things unseen, but instead of belief in things unseen as a sense, like our, our, our sensory response that we see with our eyes, what if it is unexpected? What if it is a, a, a belief in things unknown? Belief in things impossible? And, and Peter gets out. I hate the fact that every time I hear this story preached, taught, even read, or in Sunday school, that Peter is the villain. Mm-hmm. At the end of the story, when Jesus lifts Peter, who has come to him and left the rest of the disciples in the boat, and he lifts them out of the water, they get back to the boat, and he says, why, you have little faith, why did you doubt? At no point, we, by the way, we have added this whole idea of, well, Jesus took his, uh, Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. He looked away, and that's why he sank. I challenge you to find that in scripture. Yeah. Mm. It's not there. We have added that to beef up the, the storyline that we want. Peter is the villain. Jesus is the hero. Jesus' question, and this is a great challenge for us in the midst of this conversation in particular and in life in general. Jesus' question to Peter, 
why did you doubt, has nothing to do with his faith in Jesus. That's why Jesus, that's why Peter got out of the boat. Why did you doubt yourself? Why did you doubt that you could walk with me? Why did you doubt that you could be with me? Why did you doubt that you that you would be limited by what everybody else is limited by? Why did you doubt that you couldn't be, couldn't experience something supernatural with me? That's the essence of Jesus' question. I'm absolutely convinced. Um, no one will ever, for the rest of my life, based on the study that I've done, the reading I've read, the people <laughs> that I've read, no one will ever be able to talk me out of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, so no, that's yeah. like my third example is we always have these heroes and villains and Bible stories, yeah. and it's not true. It's, well, not, well, just- it's not the way we're meant to encounter scripture. Well, just to even jump in, like in such a small way, while you were talking about this, I I thought we see two miracles in this movie, right? We see um, Jesus healing the guy who gets his ear cut off, and we see Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. And the only yes, reason, yes, you're right. That, the only reason that we see Peter's mother-in-law get healed is because the writers thought it'd be the funniest joke in the world for them to say for Martinian to go. We I wrote don't it talk down. about. I wrote down the exact quote. Yeah. Any man who wishes good health upon his mother-in-law is mad. Right. They totally so, turned a miracle into a punchline. Right. And that's the other thing, too. Like, thinking about this movie, like, we don't really get into the teachings of Jesus because he says, like, two words. Basically, like, the whole reason this guy becomes a Christian is because Peter says, don't hey, Jesus it. isn't like, <laughs> Jesus, spoilers, Jesus, he said, uh, Peter says, hey, Jesus isn't like the Romans. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. That's it. No stories about like, here's what Jesus did. Here's who he was. Here's who he, here's what he taught. Here's why I loved him so much. None of that. We just get essentially like, here's a couple of stories. Oh, and by the way, Jesus isn't a typical leader. Sound good? There you Mitch, go. Uh, and we're done. Um, I'm, I'm really moved. Uh, I, th- I think just by what's being articulated of just, it's it's just not as simple and clean cut as uh, movies and media like this like to portray it. I mean, really, even just what you said a moment ago, Zach, where the the, the killing blow in this argument for conversion is a throwaway line of you know Jesus is different from the Rome uh, Romans. Uh, like that is such a loaded statement that that deserves you know like weeks of conversation and not and not you know a one sentence uh for, for that to be convincing to someone um you know in a in a story that I'm supposed to glean something from and identify with um mm-hmm. I I honestly I yeah. want I want the Peter movie uh that Chris Chris is pitching now where <laughs> yep. I really do I really really do because there's just so much in Peter's life that could have been um you know dived into here and it just wasn't um, so that that really is too bad, and I and I am challenged by, you know, the idea that this is something that was perhaps lovingly made, and uh, that this is someone's dream. I th- I find that to be really powerful. Um, but if I could express something that I desire for Christian media, uh, it's it's just I do desire for there to be, um, you know, first of all, characters that uh, feel like human beings that feel like. Um, people and I didn't see any human beings in this movie, um, nope. uh, but especially what's being articulated right now with um, the othering of Judas. Um, yeah, I find, I find that. Yeah, I find that to be really troubling. Um, 
And as someone who, and I, I, the three of us I know have, or at least I, I expect, have all felt uh, at at least one point in our lives, maybe uh, the other uh, in the church. Um, it that is always just a troubling trend when I see that in in Christian media, because then uh, when you are the one who says the thing you're not supposed to say or something like that, mm. it you fall into what Chris is getting, uh, you know, articulating these fairy tale tropes. Well, that's bad guy, and and gosh, I I don't want to conflate the idea of like the way we interact with um, media and uh, and art and, and storytelling with the way we treat people in real life, but. There is definitely a correlation. If I see heroes and villains in my stories and in the Bible, that is how I will, at least it's my opinion, that is how I will treat the people in my life. So yeah, um, it these stories and the way we tell them, I think, have really important uh, implications for um, the way that, you know, we're going to be, the way that disciples <laughs> will will form in the church. Mm. Yeah. I have another yeah. section in my notes that I call the voice of the movie, and I talk a little bit. It's not nearly as long as my Peter rant <laughs> um, <laughs> about about what you just said. I don't know if we want to dive into that kind of thing right at this moment, or if we yeah. want to maybe let's, turn it towards positive. Let, well, yeah. What are what are things that that we actually did like? Because I don't want it to sound like you right. know we we can't see the the good anywhere. And I'll be honest, there's like, no good here. <laughs> it, it's pretty. It was pretty hard for me to find any. So, Chris, I'm actually really curious about um, about what you found positive in the movie. The story of witness. I had to. This is the only time in the movie that I rewound, other than the very end where I had to show Christy, and that was that was totally the cynic coming back. We'll, again, we'll close with that. I think. Yes, yes, yes. But the idea of witness and what we mean by witness is how the story is told. How not just how we tell our interpretation of the story of St. Peter, which is what this movie was about, but how the story of the gospel is told. How mm-hmm. the story of Jesus Christ as a human being, as the Son of God, as divine, uh, as salvation, as the door between us and whatever comes next um, is mm-hmm. told. That is That is what we mean when we talk about witness. We don't mean your testimony. We don't mean your particular story of how God has transformed your life. Those are good stories. But when we talk about witness, and maybe with a capital W, this is me just kind of spitballing here. <laughs> um, we're talking about this. It, this is, to me, the heart of evangelism. And I will say, through clenched teeth, I am not very much of an evangelist. Zach, as much fun as we had, as many conversations as we had, as deep as we went to scripture, and and for the ways that we talked and explored life together, I probably never got evangelical in the contemporary version of that. And that's because I have a very hard time with that thought, that concept, mm. which was, uh, we'll, we'll come back to that in the voice of the movie, that was very difficult for me to watch this movie because it was through this evangelistic mindset. And I mm-hmm. don't mean an adjective, I mean a movement. Mm. When I talk about witness, and this is where we want to stay positive here for a second, mm-hmm. how this story is told. Uh, it starts with this, with this statement by, by the elderly Peter, there is only one true God. Which is right. such a, for those of us who have grown up in the church, we have no idea how blatant, how broad, how bold a right. statement that is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very bold statement. And not mm-hmm. because most of the people we, were, we will come into contact with are polytheists or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's just, it, 
now that I live on the East Coast and I have quite a few friends who are not part of the Salvation Army, who aren't necessarily even identifying as as Christian, um, the statement there is only one true God is a powerful thing. Like I would ruin mm. some barbecues if I just yelled <laughs> that at the top of my lungs. <laughs> so elderly Peter, in a, in a context of, of a Roman guard, Martinian, and the Roman culture is polytheistic at that time. And not just polytheistic, not just we have a pantheon of gods. We have a pantheon of pantheons. Yeah. That's Roman theology is such a vague concept. They had, sure, they had their, their, their sort of solar system, literally, solar system uh, of gods, because that's what we named our planets after, um, which they stole mostly from the Greeks, because, hey, why not? They had a decent theology. We don't have to work that hard. We'll just steal from them. Plagiarism at its best. <laughs> but the Roman Empire also learned from the Persian Empire that if you want people to do what you tell them to do, don't tell them what to believe. Let them believe whatever they want. So Persia had done this hundreds of years before. Um, and yeah, okay, that's cool. That's your faith. Let's adopt your gods into the great Persian pantheon. And Rome was, as Rome as the Roman Empire expanded, they just kept adopting gods. Yeah, that god yeah. sounds cool. We'll bring him in. That god sounds cool. Oh, Jeff, the god of biscuits, to quote Eddie Izzard. We'll, we'll bring that guy in. <laughs> I highly recommend Eddie Izzard. Unless you're my mom and you're listening to this, which you're probably not. I never listened to Eddie Izzard. I lied to my mom online. <laughs> <laughs> it's forever. <laughs> Martinian, a presumed, if not polytheistic, practicer, because we know that his wife is a Christian, because that has been blatantly told to us and beaten us over, be, beaten over our heads. Mm-hmm. But Martinian has grown up in this polytheism and this polypolytheism. How do you know? He says to Peter. And the elderly Peter tells the story to Martinian, while the skeptical processus, which has got to be the worst name for a Roman yep. god ever. <laughs> <laughs> listens through a closed wooden door. But regardless of their names, this is what I like. When other guards approach, processes backs away. Mm-hmm. And this, that moment to me was very powerful. It's a powerful testament of the process of witness. When we're not mm. sure about a thing, it sounds good to us. But then in, in a crisis moment, in a critical moment, we start to wonder what that sounds like to other people. We back up, we put our hands up, we pretend like we have nothing to do with it. Mm. So processus to me, despite the fact that as he who is is clearly directed and intended to be sort of the anti-interested Martinian, but also the the guy, he can't wait to to crucify Peter. Like throughout the movie, he can't wait to get this thing done. Three more days. Right. Three more days. (laughs) Like the fact that he's eating an apple in front of St. Peter, Mm -hmm. just the blatant symbolism there, it's cheesy. Yeah, that we're going to bring in this this symbol, this image, this metaphor of the Garden of Eden right ooh, into this moment. It's just like, this is the worst. You could have <laughs> just made, make it a fig, make it something that would have made sense in Rome. Processus is this great example of, of this idea of witness. How yeah. do we put ourselves in processus sandals? How do we approach the story? Which we, to be honest, we're not in the room. With St. Right. Peter, we're outside a closed door and we're hearing muffled voices yeah. by this point in our lives, by this point in our experiences, by the, by the voices that are telling the story to us. Mm-hmm. How do we approach that story? And how do we approach the storyteller? What's our attitude? Directly and boldly like Martinius in the room, like pointing fingers, getting, getting in, in, in St. Peter's face. Like, are we directly questioning? Do we have that courage? Most of us don't. To directly question the source of the story. 
Or we, most of us are, indirect and we're in secret, like Processus, and we're listening through a closed door to muffled voices. And and this is this is an interesting, to me, this is an interesting question of where do we stand in relationship to the gospel? I don't know that I'm always bold enough to, to say that I'm in the room. I would love to. I would love to. I would love to say that. It'd be a lie. I think most of us are outside the room, through the muffled mm-hmm. door. We're backing away when the other guards walk through. We're getting an incomplete image. We're getting an incomplete picture. And we end up being content with that. So for me, that little bit of how the story was told, and this continues to happen throughout the movie with processus listening through the door. On one hand, I really appreciate that because it shows growth and it shows interest and it shows engagement. Um, on the other hand, I found it really challenging. Mm-hmm. So that was that was something about the movie that I found particularly, uh, um, I don't know, engaging might be the right word. As often as I've seen this story in Christian media of like, uh, this is going to be about someone getting saved, it just that just feels so perfunctory, perfunctory at this point to me now. It's just like, yeah, someone's going to get saved. And that that's really a disappointing thing to, to have to say, because there's nothing more beautiful than someone coming to know the Lord, right? But it's just become mm-hmm. such this trope of the, uh, of the stories. It is, here's, it is ref- here's what I would add to that, Mitch, because I will yeah. never argue with what you just said. Yeah. But the movie did not show co- someone coming to know the Lord. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Yes. They did true. not. The, the movie did not show a redemptive moment for Martinian yeah. or Martinian's wife. Mm-hmm. Her name was Novella, which I found they get, interesting. They get but down on their knees like, in front of Peter. I feel like when they had to name these people, they were just really tired. Yes. Yep. <laughs> How did it, um, how did it even end? I don't really remember. Is important at the end. Me. All all three of them kneel in front of Peter, and Novella says, "By the way, a kid would be great." And Peter just kind of goes, oh, "Okay." And then later they're like, "Hey, Peter, we got to go crucify you." There's this guy Saul who's got to come in, and then that the movie was, ends. That was terrible. Yeah. yeah. So the movie, the movie, like my last moments are: Why is Novella, who is again Martinian's? Christian wife who's prompting him to have these conversations with Peter. Why is she just hanging outside the back door of the jail? That all really night. bothered me. Like, it's wh- like, you've been here hours. Yeah. She has nothing <laughs> better to do. Like, yes. I, it just doesn't make, it didn't make any sense from a, from a, from, again, this is not, now we're going into technique. This is clearly yeah. not factual. No. But from a writing perspective, that was weak. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the, the drunk, the drunk Roman guard, who is sort of everybody's boss, which is just, again, just cheesy. He walks in at the end and he goes, how many times have I told you political prisoners on the right, religious fanatics on the left? But he does it in this completely serious tone. (laughs) And I laughed so hard, Christy sent me a text from upstairs saying, are you okay? (laughs) You have Martinian and then Processus comes in because we we have to save the skeptic at the end. The, the skeptic has to get saved. You have Martinian, you have Processus, and you have Novella all kneeling in front of St. Peter, which is bad. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's bad. Having said that, I have seen I have seen my fair share of the speaker very much puts himself in the position where it appears that people are kneeling to him. Mm-hmm. And that bothers me. I cannot speak to you how deeply that bothers me. Come down to the floor. Get out of the way. Fine. There's a cross behind you, and that symbolizes something. But that it, this geographic relationship between the holy between the altar and the cross is not the issue here. 
people are having a very heartfelt, transformational, redemptive, raw, and vulnerable moment, get out of the way. Just get out of the way. That's my job. That was what Peter dedicated his life to. That's what Jesus taught Peter to dedicate his life to. Uh, but the, the so they're all kneeling, and there's Peter who is doing this sort of blessing on them, and it's legit the sinner's prayer. It's the sinner's prayer, and it drives me nuts because there is oh yeah, yeah, they repeated they yeah. repeated it. That's right, Repeat Mitchell me, and 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 Zach. I love you very much, <laughs> listeners. If you're reading a, 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 I don't know what they call it. If you read the words of this, I, I if you're interacting <laughs> with this podcast, then anyway, the sinner's prayer is not biblical. The ideas no. of the sinner's prayer are deeply biblical, and they are very rich and beautiful. But there are no magic words that you can say that bring Jesus mm-hmm. into your heart. That is another thing I will, well, I will, well, I will like. Hold on, every VBS in, uh, in camp <laughs> I've gone to has led me to believe otherwise. If I just repeat after the camp counselor, <laughs> I'm also not saying that when you go down to the altar and you pray sincerely from your heart, it doesn't matter what words you say. You can right. say the words mm-hmm. that the person leads you to say. Um, yeah, yeah. but we have to separate these two ideas. Yeah. Some people just need to be told what to say in those moments, and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. But the idea that there is a certain prayer that must be said in a certain way, or salvation isn't real, is terrible theology. There, mm-hmm. I said it. Yeah. Put me in the heretic box with Zach and Mitchell, I'm okay. Well, folks, it's about that time where we're going to use our... Manners. Just like when they offered you more stale crackers at youth group, when I offer you more of Apostle Peter in the Last Supper, you are going to give me a yes, please, or a no, thank you. So, uh, Mitch, these uh, crackers, I think I might have dropped them on my way over to you. Uh, Would you like some? Hey, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Thank you for the offer, but um, no thank you in this case. Uh, I think there's a lot of better content out there to uh, dive into the life of Peter. I think there's a lot of better content out there um, to engage with the life and ministry of Jesus in a thoughtful manner. Um, You know, whatever the intentions of this uh, movie were, uh, what the result was is a messy, potentially irresponsible uh, uh, portrayal of the life of Peter, the death of Peter, and uh, and the life of Jesus. So, yeah, big no thank you from me. Uh, it's a no thanks, dog. I'm not a fan. Um, life and um, the Apostle <laughs> no Peter. Thanks, dog. Yeah, no, no, no. Not for me. <laughs> All right, uh, Chris, Mitch is going to pass on the crackers. Would you Would you like some? I am also going to say no thank you. I'm going to give a nod to an artist who I believe followed his heart. Because I think as artists, we have to follow our art. But I'm also going to suggest that as artists, we have a responsibility when we follow our heart to not tell the story that, that fits our own narrative, that fits where we've come from and where we want to go, but that we have to tell a story that honors the story itself. And in this case, I think that the story was changed so that it fit the artist. And as artists, I think our responsibility is to let ourselves be changed so that the story can be the story. So I'm going to say thanks, no thanks. Mm. And I will finally round it out, and I will say, you know, as I've said a few times, just from a purely pedestrian level, like if I don't want to get into the spirituality of this movie at all, it's not very good. It's not. It doesn't look good. It's not written well. It's not acted well. 
like on every front, it is just a bad movie. Front and center, it is a bad movie. And when you dive into it, it gets worse. It's so interesting that they thought that this was going to be the movie that changed everything when really I feel like this was kind of a, a pretty big step back for Christian films. The only big thing is that no one saw it, apparently. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, for me, and again, like after, you know, starting this podcast, I thought it was going to be all bad content. I've seen some really good stuff. Last Temptation of Christ, Prince of Egypt. Yes, um, yes. I can, only I can only imagine it was even pretty good. The Chosen. I've seen a lot of stuff that's been much better than this, easily better than this. So it's going to be a hard no thank you. In conclusion, um, maybe if you have your friends together, watch this one. Uh, it's, it's fun with friends, but th there's not much here. There's a lot better content that you can uh, fill your time with. And one of those things is to uh, check out what Mr. Chris Stoker is doing. So, uh, Chris, uh, where can people find out what you're up to if they want to? I, I suppose the best thing to say is ChrisStoker.com. All right. And uh, going on yeah. from there is my website. And it's where you can keep up with a couple of my thoughts, my meanderings on life and how it goes. There's a couple of different things up on there. It's a blog more than anything else. I mean, I'm on Facebook and social media, but that's not really... You're not really going to dive in with me in those places. Those are more for me to, to keep track of humanity's nonsense. Amen. Amen. But if you really want to get into my head, ChrisStoker.com is where you go. Because we are all going on from there. Yep. And folks, we'll drop a uh, link in the show notes below. Chris, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on our show. I've uh, appreciated many of the conversations I've had with you on mic and off mic. So thank you for giving... Uh, the Godfellas, your time this week. It was my pleasure, Zach. This was great. Thank you, man. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to our episode. I've been Mr. Zach. I'm Mr. Mitch. And I'm Mr. Chris. Apparently. Well, the adventure is over. We're all heading home. But I hope that you know, friends, you're never alone. God us. Never say die, but for now, fellas, we'll say goodbye. God, fellas, never say die, but for now, fellas, we'll say goodbye. Very okay. early on, you called. <laughs> You suggested that this might be Pure Flix's magnum opus. <laughs> what I would like I to encourage <laughs> listeners to and potential viewers of, go find this movie and watch the previews that are included on the DVD. Yep. <laughs> because this is by no means Pure Flix's magnum opus. Nope. Pure Flix's magnum opus is none other than Jerusalem Countdown. My God. Goodness, I, yep, the trailer for that was insane. <laughs>